How many parents do we have here this morning? Would you all stand? Everyone that's a parent. You may be seated. Everyone who's a parent of parents, please stand. You may be seated. Everyone who's a parent of parents of parents, please stand. You may be seated. God has a word for you and me. Now, for those of you who couldn't stand on any of those choices, he has a word for you, too, because you're going to end up, if the Lord tarries, looking like those that stood. You're going to be parents someday. And so you ought to pay heed to what I want to show you this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4 and remind ourselves of a text that I hope is meaningful to you. That though men quickly departed from the word of the Lord after the creation, there was a revival that took place just a few generations later when men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And I hope that in a verse like that, you are provoked in your soul that if all others want to depart from the Lord and go the way of Cain, that you and your children will call upon the name of the Lord. Right. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 25, it says that Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. I love Seth and Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. They went the way of Cain. We don't read anything good about Adam and Eve. We don't read anything good about Cain and his descendants. But we see here that there were some sons of God in the earth. And when you get to chapter 6, they're called the sons of God. Come over to Malachi, toward the end of your Old Testaments. We just read there in the beginning. Let's come over to the end. I pray that you will be attentive for a few minutes. That's all it is. Much shorter than a movie. Much shorter than a day at work. A few minutes. And let the Word of God teach us all. Scriptural preaching, to do it the Bible way, is not based on anything that you can recall or remember or are used to or accustomed to from any other church or place. Scriptural preaching is Bible teaching to show us the Lord Jesus Christ that we might grow in the knowledge of Him and what He is expecting from our lives to be perfect before Him. Right. So no matter how informal, no matter how formal, it better always come back to the fact that it better be lifting up the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and perfecting us in how we please Him better in our lives. And we have a job to do, and it's a glorious task, and it's one that we ought not to shy away from nor fear, but to be excited about, and that's to leave a godly seed in the earth. Malachi chapter 2 is a warning about men who deal treacherously and unfaithfully and unlovingly with their wives. 
and it's a condemnation of them. Malachi 2, verses 11 through 16. I don't want to read all of it, though, because I read it a few weeks ago in a sermon on marriage. But I want to go after verse 15. And did not he make one? This is a rhetorical question about God. Did God make one woman for the man? Yes. Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, could he have made more? And wherefore one? Why did God make one woman for one man? Why is a monogamous, healthy, spiritual, happy marriage important? The question is being asked right here. And the answer is given. That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. All of us had better have good marriages, happy marriages, successful marriages, satisfying marriages, loving our spouses, and I'm dealing especially with the men, because the marriage falls on our shoulders to keep it and make it all that it should be. Right. And the reason? Why? That he might seek a godly seed. Amen. Because a godly seed doesn't come out of dysfunctional homes. A godly seed comes out of functional homes, where the father loves his wife where the mother loves her husband, and where the two of them together love their children and are striving and living holy lives before the Lord and, and, and striving to train their children in that same path. Notice his questions. Could God have made more? Sure. Could for Adam there have been an Eve and a Mary and an Elizabeth? Yes. Easily. Did he have the residue of the Spirit? Did he still have some left over? Was his power exhausted creating Eve? No, it wasn't. He could have made more. But do you know what the Lord said? Out of a dysfunctional home where, there, where it's not monogamy being practiced, you're not going to have a godly seed. I want to go on. I hope that a verse like this provokes you and challenges you as much as Genesis 4. Do you want to leave a godly seed in the earth? Amen. What are you men working for in the 168 hours a week to accomplish what are you going to leave in the earth? A memory that you worked hard? Wow. That's not going to be a memory. No one's going to remember it. Sorry. That you left a big bank account? It'll be squandered by the next generation. You won't be remembered. And the Lord doesn't care. That you had so much fun? Challenging me, too. Are we going to leave a godly seed in the earth? Amen. That is exciting. Look at these little people sitting around you. Look at some of your rows. Look at the little people sitting around you. You're going the way of all flesh, and I'm going the way of all flesh, and that row is going to be what's left of me. And God doesn't care how hard I worked, how noble were my projects, how much fun I had, and how big the bank account was. He wants to know are there going to be some God-fearing people like Seth and Enos left in the world when I'm gone. Amen. Glory to God. What a challenge we have. Amen. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Are you excited? Right. To leave a godly seed in the earth? It looks like you're doubling yours, Jim. You've got two little men sitting on both sides of you. You're only one man. You go and you can leave two in the earth. Isn't that exciting? Amen. A godly seed, expanding, increasing. 
The Lord be praised. We have a great opportunity before us. Is this important? Amen. Now, I'm not going to preach 22 sermons like I did 13 years ago. But that outline is available, and I've read it about four times in the past month. There was an incredible amount of material there. Every verse of Scripture that I could find that applied to child training was pulled together in an organized format and summarized in some pages of rules, which I'll have on the back table tonight for you and for me. Just two, today and tonight, do I want to provoke you about training your children. Here's how good it gets. I'm a minister of Jesus Christ. The truth of Jesus Christ is perpetuated in the earth by his ministers. Not by the churches, by his ministers. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It's a defender of the truth. Churches don't beget churches. Ministers beget ministers. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, follow this with me. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Right. Four generations right there in 2 Timothy 2.2. God, the Lord Jesus Christ gave it to the Apostle Paul personally three years in Arabia. The Apostle Paul gave it to Timothy Timothy was to find and ordain other men who would be capable of teaching others yet again. And that is how truth is perpetuated in the earth by the ministers of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that exciting? Shouldn't every minister just be excited with such a, a, an assignment that's been given to him and such a privilege to perpetuate the truth in the earth? Okay, turn to Psalm 78. Some of you with great memories that have reviewed and considered some of these things, you'll know once in a while where I'm going. It's a glorious opportunity we have. Psalm 78. The first eight verses are what I want to read, but I don't want to read them all. I just want to go after verse 3, which the, the writer of this particular psalm says, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. So how many generations do we have already? Two. In verse 3. Now, if you were to read it all, it all fits together very nicely and explains the same thing that I just went through. But let's come down to verse 6. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born. What generation would that be? 3. Who should arise and declare them to their children. What generation is that? 4. Does this excite you? Is there a God in heaven? Amen. That's right. If we will train our children in the fear of the Lord, we can perpetuate the knowledge of Him in the earth, and this is the way He perpetuates it. Not with Sunday schools, not with denominations, not with churches, but with godly parents who do their job. Amen. It's glorious. And listen, if you, had, if you had more than two children, you have a pyramid and you're standing on the top of it. Because you're expanding your influence in the world, not your influence, but your knowledge of God that he's given you. That is exciting. It ought to move you. It ought to humble you. And it ought to cause you right now to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. But notice what they were to teach them. Verse 7. That they might set their hope in God. That when we're dead, we'll have children that set their hope in God. 
and not forget the works of God, that he did drown this earth with a flood, which the world wants to ignore. They don't put it in your history books. They don't forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. If you don't do anything, if you give your children three square meals a day, give them their vitamins at breakfast time and at supper time, cause them to sleep at least eight hours a night, make sure they're clean behind their ears, and take them to the doctor a couple times a year for a physical, you will train and raise the children that fit verse 8. Whose hearts are not steadfast in the Lord, but they're rebellious because they will default to their heart. We're not talking about raising children, we're talking about training them. And it takes work, but it's a glorious project. Now look in your Bibles at Joel, and you better hurry because I'm not going to stay there long. Joel. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. If you don't know where Daniel is, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. We get the four generations in one verse for parents again. I want to provoke you. What My point today and tonight, two little points, really. Two. If you'll leave with two, fully convicted about both, the Lord's happy and I'm happy. One, that child training better be a priority. Two, you better have God's content. Right. That's all. Right now I just want to provoke you so that you're convicted in your heart that you want to hear. And you want the priority in your life and you want to hear the content later today. Joel 1.3 Tell ye your children of it. Who, what generation would be the ye? Tell ye your children of it. The children? Two. And let your children tell their children and their children another generation. Isn't that glorious? Amen. That's our job. That's our job. We can teach four generations godliness and leave a seed in the earth for the Lord God Almighty. You, think, you go back to Adam and Eve and you think, what a privilege they had. They could have humbled themselves and repented after that sin and sought the Lord with their whole heart, and, and He would have forgiven them as much as He could have and have blessed them in their life, and they could have generated some children and told them the evil that they had done and brought them up in the fear of the Lord, but they didn't. They rotted, as far as we know from the Word of God, because they're left, fleeing out of the Garden of Eden without any repentance. But there was a man named Seth who brought forth an Enos with his wife, and in those days, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's what we can do, and you can do it down to four generations. Right. This world is quickly going to paganism, and the true knowledge of God is being lost in the earth. Will your children stand for it when you're gone? There's an extensive outline available. Anyone who's really serious about this will want to find it in their records or get a copy of it. It'll, it's helpful. If you want to talk about a subject where the devil wants to slow you down and hinder you, we are talking about it right now. Because it's one thing for the devil to be motivated to want to keep you from living a holy and righteous life in the earth, but he certainly wants to keep you from teaching your children and your grandchildren to live a holy and righteous life in the earth. Because the effect through child training is far greater than your life by itself. Do you follow that? Right. If you want, listen, if you want to pick on a subject that you will find more distractions and reasons not to do it than any other, or just about any other, it's child training. Godly child training. 
Oh, I mean, everybody loves to send them to school and teach them their three R's. That isn't godly child training at all. That's not even mentioned in the Bible. Not even by indirect inference. We're talking about teaching the fear of the Lord. That, when you come home at night after work, is something that is hard to do. There's always distractions. There's always reasons why tomorrow will be a better time to do it. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Tell ye your children, and they can tell their children, and their children another generation. Four generations. Ephesians chapter 6. This is the word of the Lord. This isn't Jonathan Crosby's hyped up message that we ought to be training our children. This is a commandment for our perfection. And the very passage I referred to when it described the purpose and intent of all true gospel preaching is is in Ephesians chapter 4, where it says to increase us in the knowledge of God and to perfect us. And so we come to Ephesians chapter 6, and it says in verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We have in chapter 6 a list of our practical duties in life. Servants, masters, children, fathers. Chapter 5 was husbands and wives. The practical duties that God has given us to be perfect in this earth before Him as His children. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When the Bible says the word nurture, it means the upbringing or the training or the education. It means their moral training or discipline. It means promoting their growth. But I want you to see by looking at that word's definition in the context of the verse that what we're talking about is training and education and discipline and growth in the Lord. Not in anything else. Nothing else really matters to the Lord. He doesn't care if you get a degree. He doesn't care if you graduate. He doesn't care if you're white collar or blue collar. He doesn't care if you get a promotion on average every two years and your salary increases at an average rate of 8% while the inflation rate is only 4 He's not impressed with any of that. There's not a word in the whole Bible to promote that right. in children. Promotion, where does it come from anyway? The Lord. The Lord. Can we make it happen? The Lord makes it happen. The cream always, oh, it's just so simple. You can't force your child up a corporate ladder. The Lord moves him up. doesn't matter anyway where he is in the corporate ladder. What if he's at the bottom rung, hanging on and his fingers are slipping? As long as he fears the Lord and he loves holiness and lives righteously in the earth, amen and amen. Right. We ought to be thankful for him and bless God for him. But any man who's living holy and righteously in the earth isn't going to be almost slipping off the bottom rung anyway. If he's on the bottom rung, his hands are going to be gripped there firmly because his trust is in the Lord. Right. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture of the Lord. The nurture of the Lord is the upbringing or the training or the education or the discipline of the Lord. And then it says to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. When you admonish someone or you put them in the admonition of something... You are putting them in mind of their duties. You're counseling them against wrong practices. 
You're giving authoritative warnings and advice. That's what admonish means. The admonish, ad, admonition of the Lord is to give authoritative warnings and to counsel them against wrong practices and to warn them in the Lord. So our child training is nurture, promoting the growth, the education and training, and the admonition, the warnings and the counsel, and the authoritative instruction of the Lord. That is our chief goal and responsibility with our children above all others. This is what the Lord tells us. Notice how short the verse is. Why aren't there a few more verses about making sure they have retirement plans and other things that we all worry about in our society and their educational accomplishments and their professional accomplishments and their professional certification Do you know what? It's not there. Because the Lord doesn't care. All of that stuff is just sheer liberty, but it's only liberty if you've done this first. Otherwise, you're following Satan's lie, who is the father of all education that is not this education first and is the foundation. This is what we need to educate our children in right here. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. Let's let our minds be filled with the Word of God and nothing else. You know, it is so easy for any of us to come to the Word of God with preconceived ideas or notions obtained from our parents, obtained from habit, obtained from other preachers, obtained from other books, obtained from our own imagination. But we need to come to the Word of God with an open mind saying, Lord, show me what is important Amen. about my children. That's right. And I hope that everyone says that in their hearts. Right. Everyone. If I have been wrong or if I've had an ungodly emphasis, correct me. Give me the emphasis of the Bible. Amen. In Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Amen. That's a commandment and it's a promise. Have you noticed how those often run together in the Bible? Neither give place to the devil or resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You know, we've got a commandment and we've got a promise, which we preached on for several weeks recently. But here we've got a commandment, train up a child in the way he should go, and we have a promise. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Isn't that great to have a promise attached to something the Lord's asking you to do? Amen. That's comforting. That should add even further motives. You know, I gave you a motive of the influence you can leave in the earth. And for those with bigger families, you get a bigger influence, bigger responsibility, but a bigger blessing if they all fear the Lord. Train. To train something is to subject it to discipline and instruction to form the character and develop the powers of it. Subject it, subject something to discipline and instruction in order to form the character and to develop the powers of it. We want to train our children by subjecting them to discipline and instruction to develop their character and their powers in the way they should go. We're to train children, not just raise them. You know, providing... I've already said it, so I don't want to say it again, but I want to say it again to remind you. Giving them three squares a day and making sure they take their bath and wash before meals and giving them their vitamins and take them to the doctor and take them to the dentist. None of that counts. Right. 
in this scheme of things. That's all matters of liberty far below the Lord's requirements. Listen, animals nurse their young and feed them. And yes, we have to feed our children because we have to provide for them. But that isn't the emphasis of what I'm talking about, training in the fear of the Lord. That four-generation thing is not teaching them that they ought to have three squares a day. It's teaching them the fear of the Lord and the works of God that they might put their hope in God and be steadfast in Him and remember His works and keep His commandments. That's what we want to emphasize. We're to train children, not just raise them. We raise vegetables, but we train children. This verse says here we're to train up a child. That means, and it describes that lengthy period when they're growing from such a small little thing up to our own size, up to our size. That whole time in there, from infancy to majority, we're to be training them, train them up. And then it says we're to train them in the way. We can't train every single little thing about their lives. We're to train the way. This is the way. Walk ye in it. It doesn't say these are the steps. It says this is the way. Go in that way. In the way they should go. We're to train our children the way they should go, not in the way they would go. So many times when we're training our children to go in the way they should we're going to find that the look on their faces isn't one of joy and pleasure because it's they the joy and pleasure is for the way they would go. But I want to do this. Well, the Lord tells us to tell them this is what the Lord wants you to do. Right. Train them up in the way they should go. And when they are old, and how many times have I given and how many times have I received comfort from this? When they are old, they will not depart from it. I have witnesses here I wish weren't, but I'm glad they are. Because there are times in between childhood and adulthood where children sometimes go in a different direction. But do you know what the Bible says? When they're old, they will not depart from it. You may have some teenage troubles with some foolishness bound in their hearts as your young children find themselves in no man's land between being an adult and a child. It's horrible. The worst years of your life are the ones that start with a one and they're two digits. At least that's been my experience. And when I look in the Word of God, it appears that way because children are an example of how we're all to receive the kingdom of heaven. And old men are the wise ones and the pillars of a church. But in between are those horrible teenage years, which by the grace of God, he can see us through them. But that's where folly comes to manifest itself in their hearts because they're caught in that horrible dilemma of not being a child, not being an adult. It's all, I, I spent, I've spent a lot of time just telling my children, when you get to them, they're going to be horrible. And Dad already knows they're horrible, and he, he's sorry for you, but you got to go through them anyway, and the Lord can see you through them. But the promise is, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. It doesn't say when they're 17 years old. Because when they're 17, they can try all sorts of things, But thanks be to God, his promise will come to bear if they were trained when they were young. Right. What if you don't train your children? Look at Proverbs. You're in the book of Proverbs. Look at 29, 15. What if you just give them warm clothes, provide heat in the house, give them good food, take them to the doctor, give them their vitamins, 
Here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 29, verse 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. If you do not train your children, you are going to be ashamed one of these days, and it's going to be the worst way to die. The wor- your life, it'll be the worst way to die. To know that you have left dysfunctional families in the world. They don't know how to be husbands. They don't know how to be wives. They don't go to church. They don't fear God. They don't love the Bible. They're tossed to and fro by every idea of man. They're not living with hope and faith and the breastplate of righteousness and the rest of the armor that we saw in Ephesians 6. What a horrible way to go out of this world knowing that the opportunity God gave you, you squandered because you were too interested in your career or in having fun or in getting home at night and reading the paper and relaxing. To have a child begin to show the training and the fear of the Lord makes up for those nights that you gave up the paper and having fun and your career because it's a great blessing. The Bible tells you that. See, I don't have time. I had 22 sermons before. I've only got two. Now, I had 20 verses in the Bible about how much pleasure a righteous and wise son can give a parent. Can't give them to you now. You've got to look them up for yourself. I can just tell you that they're there. But, on the other hand, did you know that a foolish son is the calamity, calamity of his parents? What a warning. Brethren, where do you stand? And I meant brethren, specifically. Not not sexually neutral. Brethren, my fellow men, my fellow fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers. That covers it. Where do we stand? With your time, with your effort, with your expense, with your emphasis, and with your consistency. Where do we stand? With our time, effort, emphasis, money, and consistency in training this generation that's coming. The Lord has, the Lord's told us what we ought to be doing. And that's bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Promoting their growth giving them authoritative counsel and warnings in the Lord. And guess whose shoulders it falls on? The wife? No, No, that's the Catholic invention. That mama brings her baby because mama loves fancy ceremonies in the big fancy Catholic church called baptism. And mama loves the fancy services in the fancy church called confirmation. And when little baby has his first communion, that is Catholic heresy. The trainer of children is fathers. That's why in Ephesians 6 it says, and ye fathers, it is not the wife. And women, instead of wanting to fight me, you ought to be saying, amen. Amen. That the father is responsible for training. And if you want a little part of it, you can find it in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8 where David and Solomon both wrote in the book of Proverbs that they did not forsake the law of their father nor the the rebuke of their mother or something to that effect. It's Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. Both were involved, but the wife is just doing some delegated responsibilities from the husband, but the burden from the Lord falls on the husband's shoulders. Where are we going to get our child training ideas, concepts, what we should be doing from the Bible? 
Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Should we say that child training falls into that verse, since it says all things? I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Well, what if it's different than your way? What? You still going to love it, esteem it, and want to hate your way? It's hard. We've got to do it the Bible way. To the law and to the prophets, to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. What if all the enlightened educators in the world get together at a conference in Switzerland, all of them, and they tell us we're wrong? What are you going to do? Hate them. Because the Bible says there is no light. Come on now. All the enlightened educators in the world, wouldn't there be a little light there? No, by the nature of their profession, there couldn't be light there. Because they're exalting the wisdom of man over the wisdom of God. And God has said for such men, I will leave you fools. We've got to go to the word of God. Where do we get our edu- our philosophy of education? Do we get it from the NEA? No. All educational institutions in this country follow the NEA. Christian, home, and public. All of them follow the NEA in the educational model designed to babysit your children from 6 to 22. All of them. You say, but our children also go to chapel. I didn't say they didn't go to chapel. I just said the educational model that's followed, including in homeschooling instructional materials, is the educational model designed by the world. And if it's designed by the world, who is the true author of it? The prince of this world. How in the world can we think that education is godly or the educational model of the world is godly? It was designed by the world for the world and the result is pure worldliness. Right. Everybody in the world does it, not just Americans. Why don't the Japanese have a different educational model than Americans? Why don't the Chinese have a different one than the Japanese And they have a different one from the Americans. Why are they all following the same educational model in the last few years? Because it's the education of this world by Satan for Satan, away from the truth of God. The educational model followed by our country, 6 to 22, 16 years, 180 school school days a year, approximately 6 hours a day, was not designed by Jesus Christ, nor the apostles, nor godly men sitting in a room with the Bible wanting to create the fear of the Lord in the earth. Right. Didn't come up from there at all. Where did it come from? <laughs> Greek Gnostics who love man's wisdom and man's education and man's learning right. at the cost of learning anything about God. Do you know how many hours we're talking about? 6 to 22, 16 years, 180 days a year, 6 and a half hours a day. That The amount of time that our children spend in, in that educational model is incredible. The amount of expense, the amount of effort, the amount of energy is incredible. And so we have 22-year-olds today with dysfunctional families, divorcing, fearful, 
drugs, having to use drugs to find any peace in life because they have none, because the fear of the Lord hasn't been made as their foundation. And where have the fathers been? Bye-bye, children. Go get on the bus. Bye-bye. And the father leaves. Where the, when the responsibility from God is for the fathers to be teaching the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the priority. What you do with your children after that, if you want them to learn all the things that they'll never use and that the world wants them to learn, that's your choice after you teach them what God requires out of all of us. Right. That's a matter of liberty. But first, we've got to do what the Bible commands us to do. We've all got to do it. Can we empty our mind and let Scripture fill it? Can we, can we go to the Bible with 30-some thousand verses and look in the Bible and find out what we're, suppo- what we're supposed to teach our children so that we leave a godly seed in the earth and be like Seth and Enos? That's right. Do you know how much influence we have? What is the number one assignment for a father today to be a great father? Slave at his job hard enough to be able to fund his child in the world's processing plant from 6 to 22. I, I live in a subdivision. I just I know what everybody's goal in there is. If they can't send their kids to Christ Church, they're failures. It's pitiful. What's Christ Church up to now? 10,000 a year? I think it's around 10,000 a year. That's, that's, you know, from 6 to 18. Then you got to send them to the best school in the country. Send them away from daddy. College isn't any fun unless you get to get away from daddy. Then you get to go to another state, another city, and live there for four years and be brainwashed by men who hate God. And if you are a great father, you work, you work day and night to be able to have enough money to waste $40,000 a year so that your child can go to the Ivy League schools. And do you know what they think? All, all their lives they have believed that that is the great ambition and success of a godly father, of a great father, a great father. Can we flush, or do we have the ability to flush all that and say, Lord, show me what you want me to teach my children and how we ought to do it? Amen. We want, thus saith the Lord. Amen. Not my father did it this way or everyone does it. Doesn't, doesn't everyone doing it mean something to you? It does to me. If everyone does it, do you know what that's proof of? It's wrong. wrong. Everyone in the whole world follows the educational model of the United States. Do you know what that proves? The educational model of the United States is wrong. And aren't the results sufficient with the dysfunctional families and the irresponsible employees that we see all around us? Yes. And the perversity and the lack of faith and trust and hope in God and anything? questioning all authority, rebelling against it at early ages? Where did that all come from? Why is it rampant now? Why is it rampant in our country now? You know, as Dr. Alan Keyes says, our nation is morally bankrupt. How did we get morally bankrupt? Because the educational system is wrong. And fathers aren't doing their jobs to teach them moral character. Results don't prove a thing. You say, well, I know someone that went through that route you talked about and the father paid for it all from kindergarten at the best schools in town all the way up to Ivy League schools, and that person turned out fine. They fear God today. You, want to, you know what I can tell you in the authority of the Word of God? It is only by the grace of God that that happened. Amen. 
because that is a sure route to agnosticism. Right. Children of the Lord's. Do you believe that? Amen. Yeah. Psalm 127, verse 3. When you start dealing with children, I learned this a long time ago as a little boy, watching my father preach and watching the response of members. Whenever you start talking about children, you get on a very sensitive, personal part of a person's life, and they get very defensive. I watched that as a little boy. I still know that at 43 because I know what's happened to me over time. Whenever anybody tries to say anything about how children ought to be trained, well, it doesn't matter what Jonathan Crosby does for his training. It doesn't matter what you do for your training right now. It doesn't matter. I have no enemies in this congregation. I have no one that I'm preaching to other than myself and every one of you. Right. You know what? Nothing matters except are we all willing to drop to our knees and humbly say, God, provoke me today, teach me today, that I can go out of here and leave a godly seed in the earth. Amen. That's all I want for me and for you. There is, there is no axes to grind. And if you're sitting there thinking I'm trying to grind an axe, I'm not. I just want to believe the whole Bible. And I know that this world system is wrong, wrong, wrong. Because the Bible tells me it is. Whatsoever is highly esteemed among men is an abomination with God. Amen. The educational system in our country and in Japan and in China and everywhere else is an abomination to God. Because it steals the souls of the youth of a nation. At 6 to 22, that whole process of training them up and they're taken away by the government's compulsory education system instead of being left with their fathers to be taught as a God-fearing father would dictate he wants his children to be taught. They require it. They steal our children. Compulsory education is of the devil. It is not a blessing of a free nation. They're stealing our children. I hate it, and I've always hated it. And why do I hate it? Because when I look in the Word of God, I see no evidence for it whatsoever, except that a father should sit his children down and say, Come, my children, let me teach you the fear of the Lord. Amen. What do you think David was doing when he was 14 years old? Do you think he was sitting in some advanced algebra class someplace? Come on. Do you think he was learning Spanish? Where was David? Come on. Come on now. Spanish. Really? Nobody speaks Spanish. Where was David? He was at work, but what was he doing? Was he working toward a white-collar job? His brothers couldn't even remember he existed. Neither could his father. Samuel came and said, I want to anoint one of your sons to be king of Israel. Do you know what? They couldn't find him and didn't even remember him. Samuel gets to the end of all these fine-looking sons, and he says, the Lord didn't pick any of them. Are there any more? And Dad's over there. Yeah, I know I had a lot of them. I'm serious. That's where David was. And do you know which man God chose? David. Because you know what he was out there doing? Bored. And do you know what David did when he was bored? He prayed to the Lord, wrote psalms and songs with his harp. Now, which man do you want to meet? I want to meet David. He was taught by God out there. His parents had taught him enough that while he was out there, he was praying to the Lord. And when a lion came, instead of running home, said, Lord, help me. And he went and tore his beard off and ripped his throat open. It was his reward. Children are in heritage of the Lord. The Lord gave them to us. Every parent in here, the Lord gave you something. And it's really incredible, isn't it? 
another soul. Remember the first time you came home from the hospital? Or wherever, wherever you had? I'm not trying to preach about that either. <laughs> Do you remember the first time there were two of you and then there were three of you? I still can't. That, I still remember that. Right there. She caused it. I went to the hospital with one other person. I came home with two other people. And you can't put your finger on it. You can't say, you can't, it's hard to define maturity and growing up. But I'll tell you something. That ride home with three people in the car, and I didn't invite the third one, is maturity. Do you remember that feeling? I did invite her, but I wasn't thinking about it when she was invited, if you know what I mean. But there she is. And that is maturity. And all of a sudden, but to a child of God, that's why I'm preaching. Right? Some of you are sitting there smiling because you haven't had any yet. You'll, you're going to come to me someday and say, you, you described it. The Lord gives us a blessing, but what are we going to do with that heritage? Did you see Jacob laying in his bed, 12 sons? And he go, now they weren't very good sons. Let's forget that for a minute. But he goes down all 12 of them, and, he, and, and the Lord had told him by inspiration what was going to happen to each one of those 12 tribes. What a way to die. Do you know what it says? Jacob just drew his legs up into bed and gave up the ghost after he had blessed each one of his sons. That's a godly family in the earth. You know why his name was changed from Jacob to Israel? Because he is the father of the Israelites. Right. That man. You know, Hannah had such a great spirit about childbirth. And we ought to have the spirit that the women of the Old Testament had. And listen, some t the Lord doesn't tell me that I have to be perfectly dry and boring every minute of a sermon. Sometimes it's personal. When your children become teenagers, there are thoughts that go through a parent's mind. Did I really have to have seven? Because they be, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a proactive father, that means an involved father. If you're going to be an involved father and you've had quite a few children and get into their lives and pursue them and try to know what's going on and try to guide them and try to restrain them, in their activities and their thoughts, it's a lot of work. And you start wondering, wow, I wish somebody would warn me about this many. Maybe somebody did. But it's a lot of work. But on the other hand, I want to say to you, with the authority of God's word, and all that counts is God's word, not the wisdom of somebody who's had seven kids and sometimes wishes it was five or three or one. That's just the burden of all the responsibility, the Lord says that they're in his heritage and his gift. Amen. Sarah said, I've obtained this son from the Lord, and I'm going to lend him back to the Lord. And that was such a great gesture on her part, the Lord gave her five more children that you can read about in the next chapter. Brethren, child training isn't a matter of liberty. It's a commandment. We have to do it. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm very thankful for all of my children, but I'm especially thankful for five sons. But, because that's a great gift from God, but that gift is only going to be valuable if I train them and someday they set their hope in God right. or do it now and do it then. And if they fear God and remember His works and keep His commandments and have functional God-fearing families where they love their wives, love their children, 
train their children so that that third and that fourth generation occurs. And I want to do that for my father. And I have a brother that I hope wants to do that for our father. And I hope that everyone in here thinks that same way to train up children, especially our sons. And the reason I'm mentioning sons is because it's sons that are responsible to train the next generation of sons. Because it's the fathers that are the trainers of children and the leaders of families. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof, the ways of death. Don't think anything is right about education unless it fits with the Word of God. Make, let's make the Word of God our guide completely. Fathers are the ones responsible. Fathers, we cannot say mama's responsible for training the children. We're responsible because the Bible gives us the responsibility. You say, well, I've got a bunch of daughters, and I think my, my wife's a better teacher for the daughters than I am. Wrong. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 4, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17, both of them say that the father is the guide of a daughter's youth. Right. There's only one person in a family that understands men, and it's not the wife. It's the father. And a father's the guide of daughters in the Bible. Abraham was a godly father. Do we, do we all know that? How do we know he was? Genesis 18, 19, God said of Abraham, I better tell him about what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because I know Abraham. I know him well. I know that he's going to command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Right. What's a good father like? Overbearing. <laughs> At least according to that text, right? Genesis 18, 19, I know Abraham. He will command his household to keep the way of the Lord. How about Joshua? Was he a good father? Amen. He stood up and asked Israel, who are you going to serve? The gods that our fathers served on the other side of the flood or the Lord? As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And he didn't ask his wife. He didn't ask his children. Where do you want to go to church today? Do you know how often that, how many times that went down in the last 24 hours in this city? Where do you all want to go to church today? Do you want to go to church tomorrow? What kind of a father is that? That's a derelict. These men stood. Are there more of them? How about Cornelius? Do we read in Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius said, Wife, do you think we ought to go visit Simon Peter? He's, living, he's uh, dwelling in the house of one Simon the Tanner? No. It says that he had everyone there. Everyone in his household and all of his close friends were there when Peter came. There was a crowd. Right. He, that was a man that was going to leave a godly seat in the earth. How about the Philippian jailer? How many were baptized the night that the Philippian jailer found Paul and Silas singing at midnight? His whole household. Do you think he called home and said, what do you think, wife? He said, get down here, I've just found the truth. Those are men. We need to be men like that. I want to be a man like that. I want you to be men like that. We don't need to talk about corporal punishment. I'll have a page in the back table. The, the world says, kids, you can't beat them. What does the Bible say? Kids, you have to beat them. Amen. Simple. You say, I don't like that word beat. Now wait, anybody in here thinking about thinking? If you're thinking that thought right now, why do you, use, why do you have to use the word beat? There's a reason why we use the word beat. Because spank isn't strong enough. Or like James Dobson, who's the great tough disciplinarian that wrote Dare to Discipline, pinch the trapezoidus muscle. It doesn't say that. It says beat. Thou shalt beat him with what? The rod. Can the rod give stripes? Yes, yes. yes, because the Bible says stripes give wisdom. Yeah. 
We don't have to talk about that, though. We've talked about it before, and there's going to be a lot. There's going to be material for you for all that are provoked. Remember, we have two points. One, to be provoked that you want to rush out of this service after we fellowship and have a meal together and get to the task of training our children so that when we as Seth die, we leave an Enos in the earth that's calling on the name of the Lord. Right. That is our goal. I'm going to leave corporal punishment. Example. Is it important to be a good example in training your children? We're, we're going by the Bible. Example is very important. Ezekiel 16, God looked at Israel and said, As the mother, so is the daughter. How many times did Paul in the New Testament say, Follow us as we follow Christ? Right. Example. Children learn to do most everything by example. They just watch. You know, they watch how we stumble around on, on our legs, and they want to get up and stand up and do that. And when we eat and how we eat and how we pick up utensils and how we eat. Listen, why do people that eat corn in the cob from, one, from the left to the right in rows generate children that eat corn in the cob in rows from the left to the right? You know, I married a woman that came from a family that eats corn in the cob in circles. It blew my mind. <laughs> they go around in a circle on a cob. Then they shift over and go around another circle. That's a significant difference. I couldn't digest if I tried it that way. It's to I'm serious. It blew my mind. Why do I tell you that? To make you laugh? Example is important. My dad was sitting down there doing it. I did it. Everybody did it at our table. We all did it the same way. Well, now just think, what kind of an example are you? Whenever there's trouble, do you put your trust in God and call on Him to deliver you? Whenever there's a blessing, do you lift up your hands and say, Thank you, Lord, just like this, in front of your children? Do they see that? Do they know that you love the Word of God? Do they know when someone comes for an answer from you that you want to go to the Word of God to get a Bible answer? Do they know that you pray? You say, I ought to pray in secret. For your kids, don't pray in secret all the way. Be an example. We could go on and on. That is such a great teacher. By them seeing what we do, and if we do it consistently and constantly, they will copy it. It's our inconsistency that is the damnation of our souls by not being consistent in our child training and our example. But I have a verse for you, and I shared it with a couple of you this week. Just a couple. My father gave it to me for my birthday. It's Joel chapter 2. It says, I will restore the years. If you feel there have been times in your life, life where you weren't a very good example or you didn't train your children the way you should have and you've lost some years because now they're older and you wish you could go back and do some things differently or do some things better, I will restore the years. I've got that in my right hand right now, that verse. Some of you had to hear it already. You're going to hear it again. I will restore the years, Joel 2.25. Don't worry about that. The Lord will forgive. If we want to commit our hearts and repent, if we haven't been doing it the way we should have, we should repent in our heart, commit our souls to the Lord, and do it. Amen. He'll bless. Amen. He'll bless. What do we want with our child training? We want our children to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, right. who grew in wisdom and in stature 
in the more important words, and in favor with God and man. What a verse. That verse, should, you know, the Bible says that if you're a good father, you're going to have him posted on the door of your home and in other places. That's a verse that should be there. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The Bible also tells us that about Samuel, 1 Samuel 2.26. Both of them, that is the description of them in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, describes the same thing that was David's goal for his son Solomon, to grow in favor with God and man. If you can grow in favor with God and man, that is one wise character. You know how to function in society in a way that pleases the Lord. That's a Daniel. Daniel was esteemed by men. That's why he rose to third in the nation. He was esteemed by God. Child training isn't devotions. It's a part of life. And we're going to get to some of these verses tonight, but doesn't the Bible say, when are you supposed to tell your children about the law of God? and bring to bear the word of God and his authoritative warnings and counsel to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When are you supposed to do it? Can anyone help me? I, when thou sittest in, when you sit, when thou sittest in thine house, when you rise up in the morning, walking by the way, when you lay down at night, when you're traveling, when you're sitting in the house. I hate some of our modern conveniences. Whenever you hear me, talking about automobiles and electricity, and I sound like I wish I didn't have them, it's because there's less time sitting in the house than there used to be. Rising up, laying down, sitting in the house, and walking by the way when you're traveling. Those of you that don't have your children driving their own vehicles, and you have them in there, it's a captive audience, friends. And they're sitting. It's a captive audience. It's good time. And when you're sitting at a meal, it's a great time. You're sitting in your house. You have a meal. It's so easy to talk about everything else, but let's bring to bear the Word of God. That's Bible child training right there. We live in, we live in horrible times. Isaiah, Romans 1, 2 Timothy 3 say that we live in perilous times, and one of those perilous symptoms, our children are disobedient to their parents, and children have become, become the oppressors of their parents in our country. We have got to make an extra hard effort a more diligent effort in order to preserve our families from the influence of a world that's going to seed. Christianity has been so diluted, I fear, that we wouldn't even recognize a Bible family. I think it's so easy for us to have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Amen. I mean a holy home. I mean a sober father training sober sons and daughters in holiness and righteousness and gravity about the important things in this wor world, the Lord and his works and our obedience to him. There's so much time spent on fun and entertaining our children. The excessive doting and exaltation of children and their whims in this generation has backfired appropriately. We have spoiled little brats that are irresponsible, have no appreciation for their parents, want to rebel against all authority, and are dysfunctional in the responsibilities of life. What if we took, just can you fantasize with me, what if we took half the time that is spent in the world's model 
from 6 to 22, half the time. Half the money. Think, think through with me. Don't let me just talk. Half the time, half the money, half the energy, half the discipline to get them there on time every day, half the consistency, and applied that to the things that we're going to talk about tonight that are contained in God's Word that He wants our children to know. I believe the difference would be incredible. Instead of sending them off, bye-bye, and having them taught things that they'll never use again, nor have any value in anybody's intelligent opinion anywhere, when these things are the things they have to live with and buy for the rest of their lives. What if we took some of that tremendous effort to follow the world's the world's got us on a treadmill. Everybody does this, so we should do it. Can we grab a hold of that and say, no, I don't have to go all the way with you. I want to make sure that my children love the Word of God, fear the Lord, right. trust in Him when they're in trouble, thank Him when they're blessed, know His works, know His laws, live holy, soberly, Know what a godly marriage looks like, better be like, how a man ought to love a wife, how a woman ought to love a husband, and all those things that make for God's seed in the earth. Did you know that the minist a ministry, a good ministry from God, will unite parents and children and promote godly families? In Malachi chapter 4, the last verse of the Old Testament, there is a prophecy made of Elijah the prophet's going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord right. and turn the hearts of the fathers to their sons and the hearts of the sons to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Right. And then we find over there when Zacharias has his mouth finally opened, when he didn't believe the angel about the birth of John the Baptist, when his mouth is open, he starts to prophesy and he pulls up that prophecy and he says that his son has been raised to cause family revivals, to make ready a people for the Lord. Because it's when parents are frustrated and children are disobedient and rebellious, that is not a people prepared for the Lord. Right. That is a dysfunctional family, and we want a functional family where the family together is being trained, commanded, controlled, and guided by the head of that home, the father, in the proper fear of the Lord. Ten weeks ago or so, I began again as your pastor. And I said that Psalm 144 is a psalm that we ought to appreciate. And toward the end of that psalm, it says that a great blessing from the Lord would be having our sons as plants growing up in their youth mm -hmm. and our daughters as polished cornerstones in a palace. Well, that's his blessing. But we've got to do some work. Yep. And he'll bless the effort so that we have that result. Right. He's not going to give us that result neglecting our children because a child left to himself is going to bring his parents to shame. Brethren, the matter that's before us is not so much a matter of knowledge. Because if you have questions about what you should do, we can find the answers in the Bible, and tonight we're going to look at that, and I'll help you find them, and I want to find them. The issue is, are we convicted to do it? Amen. Are we convicted to redouble our efforts at training our children, not letting them escape from us, getting their souls for the Lord? Right. Pursuing them. It's hard work. What are you thinking about? I don't know. 
Well, father's got to go after sons, daughters, and try to find out where their soul is at and to lead them in the fear of the Lord. How much do you truly care about this matter? I want to leave you this morning with conviction and excitement that we have a great assignment from the Lord to leave a godly seed in the earth. Like Seth and Enos, if there's ever been a time for this, it's now. In this day and age that we make that a focus of our lives, it's so easy to be distracted with everything else, sometimes noble, sometimes less noble. And Satan, let me remind you again as I conclude, if Satan wants to hinder you and your child training, because if he can hinder your child training, he can cut off your godly influence with your death. Right. If you have more than one or two children, he knows that if you were to train them properly, you would expand your influence in the earth through them. And that is not something he likes. So I want to warn you, he is going to make war against you and your efforts. There's going to be more distractions and things come up to keep you from doing it than you can imagine. But we can do it. We can resist the devil and he'll flee from us and we can train our children. Right. May the Lord be praised. Amen.